Mindfulness Mode 466. We get a choice every moment of every day to be either good medicine or bad medicine. And good medicine is really about the mindfulness. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of the Mindfulness Mode podcast. So glad to have you with us. Today, I have an author that, well, you'll hear. You'll hear that I get really excited about her work. Her book is phenomenal. And I just really felt that it was such a clear way to understand some of the biggest issues we're dealing with today, shame and forgiveness. But more about that in a minute, I want you to have my Waves of Content Guided Meditation Mindful Tribe. It'll help you be more focused and have a better sense of calm in your life. You'll feel more contented and more peaceful. This meditation is yours, Mindful Tribe, free at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash Waves of Content. So I hope you enjoy that. So now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with the wonderful Anita Sanchez. Mindful Tribe, I've just finished reading a book that impacted me in so many ways. I mean, it was such a beautifully written book. It was so much about forgiveness. It was about shame. It was about so many things, community. And this book is written by a brilliant, wise, generous woman who I have with me right here today. I have the wonderful author, Anita Sanchez, PhD. Anita, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am totally present. It feels so good to be here and to be uh, in conversation with you finally. That's great. And you know what, when you read a book that impacts you, and then you know, you're going to be spending time with the author. I mean, that is an absolute gift. It really is. And uh, I'm, I'm just so thrilled. Tell us what mindfulness means to you, Anita. Yeah, mindfulness to me is about being present. But let me explain it also in an Indigenous way. So in Indigenous way, we get a choice every moment of every day to be either good medicine or bad medicine. And good medicine is really about the mindfulness. It's basically saying that it's anyone or anything can help make this happen. And it's putting in alignment the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And when that is in alignment, one is truly present, able to open heart, mind, body, everything is present to what is. So instead of the the crazy mind going off into past or into the future, we're able to have clarity in here and living right now. Now, Anita, I talked about the book. I don't know if I mentioned the name of it is The Four Sacred Gifts. And the subtitle is Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. And yeah, such a wonderful book. You can check it out at foursacredgifts.com, Mindful Tribe. I'm just going to share a little bit more about you, Anita. Anita Sanchez, PhD, Aztec and Mexican-American, is a transformational leadership consultant. She's a speaker, a coach, and author of this book that I've been talking about, and she bridges Indigenous teachings with the latest science to inspire and equip women 
and men to enjoy meaningful and powerful lives and careers. So one of the things that you do is you define Indigenous. So let's start there. Let's talk about your definition of Indigenous. Well, Indigenous really is everyone. All human beings are Indigenous because we all are from the earth. Every element in us is of the earth, water, the stars. So we are all Indigenous. But when I say Indigenous in the context of today, I'm talking about human beings, people who have stayed connection to their traditions, to the connection to the earth through ceremony, through dance, through their oral history, so that 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 connection has not been lost. Whereas for many of us who are come from the earth, those cultural knowing that original knowledge, there was a there was a separation from it. So that's when we talk about indigenous people. We're really talking about people, nations and tribes all over the world who have kept that connection to the earth. Your book, The Four Sacred Gifts, outlines these four gifts. And the first one, and it's such a powerful gift, is the power to forgive the unforgivable. And at first, of course, when I started to read the book, I thought, well, what does that really mean? The unforgivable. And of course, it wasn't long before I understood what it meant. But maybe you can tell us, what does it mean, forgive the unforgivable? The unforgivable is something that's fairly large for people. So it's hard to define it for a particular person, because sometimes it's the accumulation of little hurts and mistreatments that become then the big unforgivable. But when I was talking about the big unforgivable, I was thinking about some of the things that pretty much every human being across all different cultures around the world will say is unforgivable, like abuse, sexual abuse, incest, or the killing, the annihilation of whole groups of people, which was true for most many indigenous people around the world. It was about eradicating us and they forgot that we were seeds. So they tried to bury us, but as the saying goes, we're seeds. So we, we remain. So that's when you think about those things that the hurt and mistreatment is so big, so deep, that it feels the illusion is as if it is unforgivable. Well, it certainly is. And here in Canada, I know that it's just devastating to think of how we have treated Indigenous people. It's just so shameful and so sad. And But it isn't just in Canada, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, but it, it just... It hurts so much. Yes, and you're, but we, you all are in the process, what I see from the outside, from the U.S., of that whole road, that red road, that pathway to forgiveness. Because you have, as a country, acknowledged, unlike in the U.S., we haven't done the formal acknowledgement. You've acknowledged what happened, the taking of sacred lands, the taking of the water, the killing of people, the putting people in boarding schools, and it's, you know, the list could go on. And that list is actually pretty true for the U.S. as well. Only you all have acknowledged it, and then you have actually put in place now education of all people in Canada, starting in elementary school, about what is the true history, rather than washing it over as most nations and countries do to only show the viewpoint of who is so-called the winner of whatever the war or whatever it was. So it's very powerful because as I talk to my brothers and sisters of various tribes from Canada, 
they share with us, you know, the great work that still needs to happen, but also they have a different kind of lightness, awareness, ability to act because they have a whole nation that they are a part of that has acknowledged what has been. And it's not just past tense. It's in the institutions that exist today. Embedded in there is the favoritism, is the bias, conscious and unconscious bias towards the mainstream people versus the people who had always been there, who had cared for the land and cared for each other. Yeah, so true. Why should you forgive? That's one of the questions you ask. And I absolutely loved the answer because it gives you true freedom to help create positive change. And that's not all. Let's talk more about why we should forgive. It's important. What I found, Bruce, though, is that it's hard for people to take in the softest part of the ear, hearing in their mind, in their heart, why I should do this. I'd like to first say what forgiveness is not, because people mistake that. And that's why they go, oh, I can't do this. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't seek justice to change systems and structures so that pain, that hurt, that mistreatment doesn't happen again. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're weak or betraying a whole group of people. Forgiveness, as you mentioned, is a path to freedom is what I found. It's the pathway not only to freedom, it's the freedom to find out and discover and live in a way that you truly, unconditionally can love yourself. I never knew that hurts and mistreatments, the unforgivable, would stop me from being able to be a whole human being in joy of being who I am. But forgiveness allows you to take off all the weight, the heaviness, the energy that we use, we only have so much energy every day that I was using and holding on to, you know, the upset, the resentment of what happened and didn't happen in my life due to the incest that was part of my life from age four to 13, or the murder of my father based on race is why he was killed, mistaken for a black man back in the mid sixties. And what happens is when you carry that anger, that resentment, that energy, as Nelson Mandela said, it doesn't do anything to the person you're directing or the group of people. It eats at you. And so I actually came to a place in my teens and early 20s where I used to tell people, oh, my well of pain is so deep and big and my well of joy is so small. And that's a distortion. That's a lie. That is the lie of the illusion of pain and hurt and mistreatment. You think that's all there is. And worse, Bruce, worse of all, is that you get so identified with the pain and hurt that you think that it's your identity. And that is so untrue. And when I could start peeling that out because of using the various skips, when I could start peeling that away, I began to discover that even though that my story are some things that many people will have never experienced, they go, oh my gosh, how could you forgive that? It's just unthinkable. It's not at all, because what I realize is as I put down the armor, when I put down this notion of separation, I realize all the good things that were present that I couldn't be present to because I was storing it in all the anger and the fight. And so when I began to let that go, more and more of love for myself, 
of the freedom and ability to be with other people and other beings. All the teachings that I got as a child from my grandmother and my mother, the indigenous, about us being one in connection, began to fill my life. And oh my gosh, I you come to a point where I did anyway, that you don't want any of these horrible things happening to other people. However, I also would never change my life because of the strength, the post-traumatic growth that I experienced from having gone through that. So it's not at all idolizing the pain and mistreatment. We need to stop there. And there's movement all over the world to stop the mistreatment of women and girls and to you know, stop the racism and all of that. What I am saying is that there's always a choice and the choice is to get sucked and spiral downward in that also for all of us is here is the choice and possibility to move towards resilience, towards growth, towards an ability to be present in the world in a way, an understanding that gives you even more ability to move forward free of a lot of fears because you've gone through such uh, a process of letting go and forgiving. I loved how you went through this step by step. How do you forgive? Here are ways. This is how I did it. This is how you can do it. And you said, you know, it can take a long time or it can take an instant. You can simply decide just like that. I'm going to forgive this person. And it can just take an instant. I mean, that's incredible. It's it's true. And, and both are true. And I learned to hold open as I help create the grace and space for other people to empower themselves to to take to make their choices that it could be any of those i have a, a story I'll, I'll shorten it but i think it's an important one so part of the healing the forgiveness parts of it happened very quickly but one of them that took longer was the murder of my father he worked in a steel mill he get very dark in the summer and one summer he was also an alcoholic so at one summer after work he went to get his beer before he came home he didn't know earlier that day a black man and a white man were having an argument. So while he sat there drinking his beer, the white man returned and just saw his profile and shot several bullets through his head and killed him on the spot. Well, I mean, that's horrific. I was 13. I had six brothers and sisters. We were from age nine to 19. My mother was seventh grade education and she always worked all the time. But at that point, you know, I don't remember her ever not working to put us all through private school and you know, just doing the best she could for all of us and education being a key one. But what happened the week after, that was enough for anyone, especially a 13-year-old to just like, what do I do with that? But the year week after my father's murder, a white woman and a young white boy who was somewhere around my age came to the door and I was by my mother and she identified herself as the wife and the son of the man who murdered my father. Well, you could imagine, I could feel my mom. She was a very solid, short woman, but very solid. I could feel her shaking and I was just, and then the woman said, I had to tell you, Mrs. Sanchez, my husband was a good man. He never would have killed your husband if he knew he was Mexican and Native American. He thought he was black. And then she went on to start saying bad things about black people. And I remember my mom shaking even more and she finally just shouted at her, stop. You don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're teaching your son. I want you to know that I'm going to try really hard to pray for your soul, but you get off my porch. And that night, my mom said something that forever, oh, a wise woman, wisdom doesn't have anything to do with age or education. It's really, you know, we know that from mindfulness, right? And she sat us six kids down and she said, this, you need to understand 
a white man murdered your father, not the white race. I will say it one more time, and I will not say it again. A white man murdered your father, not the white race. And then she opened the Kansas City newspaper where I grew up in Missouri, and she showed a picture, and there was my father laying on the bar floor with blood around his head. And she goes, now this, this this is racism. This is in the newspaper, whenever a person of color, whenever a black man, you know, uh, Asian, Native American, she didn't say person of color, it wasn't a term back then, but she named all the different, if there, something violent has to do with it, it's up in the paper, full. But if a white person, something, they never have that because they treat them with dignity and respect like a human being, that we have to change. And then it took Years, because immediately I went to school, college at 16. I started working corporations in my mid-20s and in rooms doing diversity inclusion work, hearing white men and women who talked about their parents teaching them that they were better than people of color. But they also said they loved their parents, but they were not, they did not believe that. And they were living their life in a different way. And what happened to me, Bruce, is that dream of that day of that happening lived in me for many, many years. I started having that dream again of the white woman and her son. The only thing I could see everything and hear everything word for word, but I couldn't see the white boy's face. It was gone. It was really creepy. And then over time with hearing in corporations, the circles of white men and women sharing what they had been taught and that they were releasing and creating something new allow me to then one day have that night, a dream where I could see the young boy's face. I mean, to this day, if I were to meet this man, I would know who he was. And what I hope for him is that he had a good life. Because what that 13-year-old Anita didn't understand, because she was so filled with pain and suffering, is that that summer day, I lost my father. But that summer day, that young white boy lost his father too and grew up knowing his father was a murderer. And today, if I knew what I knew back then, I would have opened the door and said, come in, let's talk. It can take a lot of time to heal and it's worth it. And it can be in a snap where with a practice, you can just release things, not pretending, not doing a mind thing. Well, I'm going to act as if, you know, it's just truly, you can release it. All of it is possible. It requires your choice. You choosing consciously and or unconsciously, you could be making those choices. And you will be rewarded with freedom. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's just so wonderful. And you are a wonderful storyteller. I love the story about how you were fighting this whole thing about writing your doctorate paper and, and you were just fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And then you just, you just said, you know, to, what was it? Grandfather and grandmother. Yeah. Is that how you grandmother, referred to grandfather. Yeah. Some people would call it God. Some would call it God. Him. Yeah. And screaming. you said, if you want me to write this, send, what did you say? Send eagles. Send me a sign. And uh, yeah. It, so it, yeah, send me a, a sign. Yeah, tell us I this. slammed the door all the while thinking my mother would just be horrified if she heard me cursing grandmother, grandfather like that. And when I looked out these big windows in my house, an eagle flew by. 
So I put my hands on my hips and I said, okay, all right. Every morning I get up at five o'clock to go to the bathroom. I'll come out here, look out the windows. And if the eagle flies by, then I'll go downstairs and write for three hours. Okay. So it took three, a little over three months. Every day I went out and darn if there wasn't an eagle that fly but flew by. That's not a usual occurrence. The eagle would fly by. And worst of all, Bruce, is so I would go down and write for three hours. And then some mornings, then I'd come up at eight o'clock. So I'd write from five to eight, come up to make my breakfast, and I'd sit down, and another darn eagle would fly by by the window, and I have to go back downstairs and write for another three hours. But what it meant is so many different things. This one is that, you know, there are other beings that that we're not necessarily taught, indigenous people are, and I think other people are too, that they make the connection. You know, the trees are there for us. The water is there for us, the four-legged, the wing, and all of us, we're all connected. We're all our precious relations. We're all connected. But then is when I realized that there had been for some time, the eagles are part of helpers to me. And they wanted this book written because my, my, my PhD written, they wanted that done. And it was important for me to be able to move into some of the places, um, CEOs of Fortune 100 corporations and places to have that PhD was important. But I only could have happened because of the eagles. The eagles supported oh, me yeah. every day and I was true to my word that's really important. And they helped me every day to get that. And in your early days, you wore armor. You described it as your illusion of separateness armor. Tell us about yes. that. Well, because of all that hurt that happened to me as a child yeah. with the rapes and stuff, and then with the murder of my father, and then go on, I'm a, a Latina, Aztecan woman, young girl, all that stuff is that I started putting this armor because it was like, Bruce, I was going to say, no one's going to hurt me. I'm going to go through life on my own. I'm going to do it, you know. And so I just put up this armor, just really tough, rarely smiling and stuff. And what I found when I went away to the University of Colorado at age 16, actually, I was 17. The first year was in Missouri. There's all these indigenous people there. And I started connecting them. And then all these white folks and and Mexican-Americans. And I just my community just kept getting bigger and they kept seeing me as a leader. And so they'd have me speak for them in the mic and I never had a trouble speaking in front of people. So, and then I ran for student body, but they were seeing all these things in me, but there was this thing in my mind that was saying, I'm a fraud. I imagine other people that are listening is that they have those moments like, Oh, this isn't true. They, you know, I'm just, they don't see the real me. They don't see all of me, but what it happened by being seen by others, helped me to start lowering this armor and lowering it, lowering it to where I had allowed. And I realized I kept the bad stuff out, at least a lot of it, but I was keeping out the good stuff. That armor that we build in our mind or really literally build, it keeps out the good stuff. And one can't live like that. We need each other. There's what I say and what the elders taught me over the years is that Human beings can have the condition of being lonely, but human beings are never alone. We're never alone. And when that finally realization sunk in, I am never alone. I have the water that's going through, that's nourishing me and the food, the earth, the birds, the trees that are providing shade. Then I have my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, my friends. You know, we virtually, we don't do anything alone. We are always connected. 
it is the mind, that state of loneliness. And so we can train it, being mindful, we can train it so we don't fall down into that, but can come back to the abundance that we're part of so that we can come back to knowing what we need, not take too much because it's, we can be sufficient so that seven generations out, we will have plenty for everyone. So that armor came down really from the gift of unity is others wanting to be to join in. And it looks like from the outside being their leader, their student body president, like I was, but it over time, I actually dropped further and further forgiving accepting them, giving to them, you know, that being in flow that then it really, then I realized, oh my gosh, the power of really connecting and collaborating with people. When you don't have that armor up, oh my gosh, there's so much energy, so many solutions that we're able to create for each other's lives and for the larger community's lives. Both, I'm talking about for the community of human beings as well as the other beings on our earth. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just love how you're able to communicate all of this as we talk, but also in the book. And one of the things that you learned from the time you were a young child was how to listen with the softest part of your ear. And you've already alluded to that. Tell us what that really means. Well, first of all, it means you have to shut your mouth. <laughs> so we learned very little from my second grandmother about listening. So it was like, there is nothing coming out of your mouth. And then it's truly being present with the softest part of your ear, the softest part of your heart. So what that means, what happens, and she didn't use this language as little girls, but that you were present to the actual beingness, the aliveness of somebody else or something else, that they have needs or what is part of their being that you don't have to compete with. So I don't have to sound off because I am present to what they are. So the lesson, one of the lessons she taught me, I've been sharing this because I love this, this is bring my grandmother back who I lost in the 60s, physically lost, but she's always been around. At age four, my little sister, who then was probably, was only about two, a little over two, and my older sister who was a couple of years older than me. We were staying at her home. And early one morning on a Saturday morning, she got us up, it was still dark got us all and we went outside. It was summertime and we were by her garden and it was August. So the sunflowers were out big time, but she had us stand there. And as the sun rose, we, no talking, we just faced where the sunflower was. And every hour that day, she stopped whatever we were doing and we'd go over to the sunflower again and we'd move with the sunflower in silence and just be there present to the sunflower. So by the end of the day, you can imagine we had turned, always looking toward the sun and then the sunset and being present to, and oh my gosh, here's a woman who had no formal education, indigenous woman, that to this day, I use those lessons of being present to, one with, even in darkness, turning towards the light that I've used in my corporate work and in my community work all over the world. It, she embedded that in me. I felt like in a cellular way, those lessons, which all of us can get, even we have an indigenous or not, you know, don't have an Aztec and grandmother. When we can be present like that, listening with the softest part of our ears, we are able to not only hear what is being exchanged, but even in the silence in between, which she used to say, you can hear the music between the words. And Bruce, 
to this day when people, you know, it's so hard to listen. Well, it does. It takes a practice so that you can be quiet, so that you can calm your mind to be present, truly wanting to be there for another being. But I'll tell you, once you start doing that, you hunger for it. Like I hunger for being silent, listening with the softest part of my ear, because it's another level of intimacy and connection that can happen in a second between a child and a parent, between coworkers, you know, between in the community, just going by a total stranger and that being present to them if they have words or not words. It's so powerful. It helps you not forget that we truly are one hoop of life, not two worlds, not a developed world and an undeveloped world, not all these different. We are one hoop of life. And it is life giving to listen to to the other beings. We are one hoop of life. I just love that. Foursacredgifts.com, Mindful Tribe. You really need to check this out. And you can check out the Facebook place where you'll find Anita, Anita Sanchez, PhD on Facebook and on Twitter, Dr. Anita Sanchez. Now, Anita, another one of the things you talked about in your book is, do you have a well of joy and a well of pain? And how are you dealing with this? What is a well of joy? What is a well of pain? Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think that's the um, the healing process that we all need to do on a daily basis. It's not like a one-time event. Like, I love the shot. Like, fix me so I never have to suffer again. No, the healing process is a process. And so what happens is over time, you just realize that, okay, I'm suffering right now. Something happened. And then I have choice about it. And it's not about denying it or pushing it down because then it'll come out some other way. It's really looking at it, putting in the light, seeing it before it is, and what I call a positive imbalance. So I'm always like, so what's the learning here? What do I have to be grateful for? Things my the elders told us, you know, like be careful of what you think. Be careful what you say. Because once you have that, you can't take it back. But you can put out anew. So I'm always when the suffering or pain or healing needs to happen, acknowledge it. Because I don't want to just pretend, like look at it, see it. And then what is the learning here and what's to be grateful for? And so that well of pain that I used to think, the illusion that it was all my life and there was this little bitty well of joy, has really totally the opposite. is a very small well of pain that I continue to empty to release that. And the well of joy is huge. But let me also say this, like the seasons, like the day to night, things are shifting and changing all the time. So it's not about trying to hang on to that specific joy either. Because when I was 18, or I can't have the joy when I first learned whatever it is. It's letting go of that too, because that hanging on is preventing the new from coming too. So that's, that's what I'm talking about and being taught and having my learning to understand even more deeper that we hold on to all that. So as thought leaders, as leaders of our own lives, I'm not talking necessarily organizationally or anything, or even in the family, we are that, that we get to hold on to all of this, but we get to decide how we want to live our life. And so I live my life as an indigenous perspective, understanding the incredible 
harmony and joy there is when we pay attention to our relationship with other human beings, to other things in nature, and to spirit. That that is living as a whole human being. And that is what can bring harmony because then when collectively we come together, we get to just, it's expansive and amplify it really wow really amazing so anita do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us where mindfulness maybe would have made a difference yes i can and i'll I'll just i hear so many bullying stories working with uh, clients both in business as well as uh, working with young people in high schools and things but i will share one of mine which is um you know, as a young girl, I love, and I still do, I love to read. Uh, going to the museums and the libraries was like sort of my escape from some of the traumatic stuff that was happening in my, my childhood. And I remember going to the library and looking different, being Mexican-American and Native American. I remember having my books I was going to check out, and a few kids came by, and they, it was not an accident. They literally pushed me down. And, of course, I was upset. I was fairly young. I think I must have been around eight. And what I remember as I was trying to not cry and picking up stuff and all sorts of messages in me, like I should have known better, why I, all these messages, critical, the critical self about what I could have done. And all of a sudden there's hands there and it's the librarian who is helping me pick up the books. But I remember her taking her hand under my chin and just lifting it up just the slightest and just smiling at me, never said anything. And I felt like this woman was practicing mindfulness being present to me and for a moment i wish it was i wish i could have practiced it more but for that moment i could feel in the presence of someone else being really present to another being and caring that you don't need a lot of words but i also had was able to connect into myself of that this was not my fault and that I'm not alone, and that she was there. So I think that's one of the areas where I felt that mindfulness, well, it was present, and that she helped show me that again, to go there, because that was part of my teaching from my grandmother and my mom, to be able to do that. But when you're in the midst of the something like that happening, it can be, especially as a young person, difficult to do. But they're taking a breath, being present to the good things that were around me, which in this case was the, was the librarian in other cases was just being around and seeing birds and the trees to like reground me and reconnect me to that. This isn't my whole life, my whole story. This is a bullying and being mindful can help me be better about where I am and how I am and how I wish to be in the world. That is a beautiful story. And speaking of birds, I know the red cardinal is a bird that you mentioned in the book. You talked about Nico and a story about Nico and the turtle you, you brought up is a sacred symbol. Can you tell us about the turtle and the red cardinal and their significance? Yes, it was in the gift of hope. So both my sons had blessing ways. It's not the same as a baptism at all, but it's basically from a tribe getting really initiated, connected, a clear ceremony of you belong. And so um, Eddie Box came and did the ceremony for my youngest one. And my youngest one, Nico, was only 20 months old at the time. And 
it was just a beautiful ceremony. And he had me take off Nico's little shirt because he had the earth. And Nico, he was about to start painting his body. And Nico pushed his hand away and put his little fingers into the earth, the powder, and began painting his own body. He'd never seen this before. And Eddie's face and our faces of the 13 of us in a circle were just like mesmerized that this little child could do this. And then Eddie set, I set him down on the floor and Eddie gave to him, Eddie not only being the longest over 30 years of leader of the Sundance for the youth people, he also made flutes. And so he had made this flute for Nico and uh, the uh, top of the flute was at the end of it was this little turtle. And at the place where you would blow into the flute was this cardinal. And he explained to Nico that he was this little turtle and that the cardinal would forever be there for him, watching over. And that what Nico needed to understand, even as this little turtle, that everything mattered, every thought And every step, no matter how small it was, was important and that he was sacred. And so we still hold that, have that flute of Nico's that when he finally finishes college and moves to his own place, he'll take that. But it was so very powerful. And I want to close the story. So the cardinal is so important. Power, power, every animal, every creature is sacred. But It's not that we worship the animals or the beings, it's the characteristics of them that we know we can emulate, that they're teaching us and we're teaching them that we're all connected. But at the end of that, Eddie sat down and began drumming and chanting. And my son, who's five and a half years older, so he would have been about seven, six or seven at the time, is sitting next to Eddie. And Nico starts dancing. And Bruce, the way he was dancing is not like a 20-month-old, like a little girl would dance. It was powerful. And Nico said, I could hear him say to Eddie, how does he know? How does he know to do that? And Eddie said, Alex, the ancestors are with your brother. The ancestors are with you. The ancestors are with all of us. We only need to remember. Nico remembers. Oh, I love that story. Wow. And I loved the book, Four Sacred Gifts at foursacredgifts.com. Anita, this has been amazing. As we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers would be perfect. Here's the first question, Anita. Tell us who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Yes. Well, right now I'm thinking of Eddie Box, the story I just told you about. Eddie could be silent. Eddie could be present to where he could turn and see this just a little and he'd point to the light on a leaf on an aspen tree and the joy that that brought by being present. Beautiful. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Anita? Oh, huge. Because emotions, part of the thing about emotions is they're Again, they make it seem like that's all there is and that they can go on and on and all this. Whereas I understand that emotions are part of being a human being. But just like anything, they are meant like the seasons, like the time of the day, like anything. They are meant to to go. They are meant to be released, not held on to. So mindfulness, being in that practice, has helped me to be able to release emotions as they're meant to be released rather than being held on to. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Mm. 
Always has been. Yes, breathing, but all different kinds of breathing. So there's a deep breathing to really go down and throughout your whole body that just like it roots me like an oak tree when I both cleanses, but it's just like rootedness, but also the fast, quick breaths to waken me when I would go hunting as, as a child, my indigenous elders taught me like, if you're starting to get sleepy, then do the short breaths and it will waken you. And, and it was always awakening, Bruce. There's this whole joy on the journey of awakening, awakening, awakening that affects then our behavior and our actions. Beautiful. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Well, of course, your books would you write. And I'm so proud and honored to have to be on your show. But also, I spend a lot of it's hard to pick one because I'm a member of the Transformational Leadership Council. And so Michael Beckwith, I mean, there's so many, so many leaders, Marianne Williamson, and just all their works on being mindful. Dawa, who is amazing consultant and mindful teacher, mindfulness teacher. I'm not going to be much help there. I just think pick up one, start with Bruce's, pick up a book and get into the practice. You probably will realize you've already been doing that because that's part of just your own sacredness, but you'll be able to go much further when you get that kind of mentoring through a book or in person from someone. Yes, absolutely true. Are there any apps that you would recommend, maybe apps that that you use or any of your clients or anybody you know that can help with mindfulness? Yeah. Um, Mind Movies uh, is one of the apps uh, that I have. And um, Natalie Ledwell, um, just wonderful in having people become more mindful. And then also in manifesting using the law of attraction. I think her, her work is powerful, deep, and yet so very simple, made simple, even though it's drawing on a lot of neuroscience, as well as, uh, I believe, some indigenous wisdom, that it's usable. So I, I like that app in Mind Movies. Ah, uh, that's great. Yeah, and I'll put all of this into our show notes. And of course... Mindful Tribe, check out foursacredgifts.com and Anita's book, The Four Sacred Gifts. It's it's really a book that I, I haven't loved a book so much in quite a while. It's just been such a gift and it's a gift, Anita, to have you as a guest here on the show. Thanks so much for sharing what you do with Mindful Tribe. Thank you, Bruce. My pleasure. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. 
with more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.